is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. You are listening to the News for the Soul radio network. The News for the Soul radio network airs daily and our archives are always totally free. Go to newsforthesoul.com to join the next live show now. That's newsforthesoul.com. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. Next up, one of the newer shows on the network, Light Body Healing with Dr. Laura. Let's bring her on, Dr. Laura, and get her to reintroduce herself, her show, and what's up for today. Welcome back. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here again. I this is probably one of the my most favorite things that I do every every couple months, you know, every month, <laughs> every couple weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> today I have with me Elizabeth Yarnell. She is a traditional naturopath and certified leap therapist, and we're going to be talking about autoimmunity and parasites and how hidden parasitic infections are can be ruining our health. Did we lose you? Oh, I'm here. Oh, sorry. Oh, you're there. All right. Well, we'll hand the mic over to you. Your guest is on the board, and we're all ready to go. Great. Hey, Elizabeth, are you there? Hi, Dr. Laura. It's nice to be here with you. Yay, I'm so glad you made it. Okay, so um, Elizabeth, since being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 1999, she has been busy studying how to manage autoimmunity naturally as a traditional naturopath and certified LEAP therapist. She's worked with hundreds of MS and other autoimmune sufferers in her nation, uh, yes, nationwide clinics using her unique personalized natural therapies to empower her patients to reclaim their health. She is a TEDx speaker, an award-winning author whose cookbook has sold more than 60,000 copies, a patented inventor, and has been featured on CBS, NBC, ABC, and PBS, as well as in Good Housekeeping, Health Magazine, Martha Stewart Living Radio, and many other outlets. I'm so excited to have you here. So let's get started by telling us what is a LEAP therapist and how did you um, get to being in this practice that you're in today? You know, it all started for me one night in 1999 when I went to sleep as usual, did my whole bedtime routine, and when I woke up, I was blind in my right eye. And in short order, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which is a degenerative inflammatory autoimmune disease that currently affects over 250,000 people in North America. And conventional medicine believes there is no cure for. Basically, people with MS, within 10 years of diagnosis, 80% of them are using a wheelchair. So I was just about to turn 30 years old, and I really didn't want to be in a wheelchair by the time my 40th birthday came around. So I started asking and looking to see, well, what can I do to make my future better with this diagnosis? 
And my MS doctors all said, well, nothing. You can just go home and rest and wait for your body to fail you. That's pretty much what we have. We have um, a bunch of simple therapies with very low efficacy rates and high side effects that you can try. And I did those for a little while, and I had terrible, terrible side effects and was continuing to progress with multiple sclerosis. And I thought, this is not the right path for me. My body doesn't want this. And actually, it was my then fiancé, now my husband of 20-some years, who first suggested to me that maybe it might have something to do with my diet. And I had to laugh because really for my whole decade of my 20s, I lived alone. And in my apartment, the only staple foods I kept were Crystal Light, Diet Coke, and gummy bears. So (laughs) maybe it wasn't such a surprise that by the time my 30th birthday was rolling around that I was – my body was falling apart on me. But he was Mm -hmm. um, a competitive athlete, and he was actually sixth in the world at snowshoeing that year. And he said, you know, I think your diet is crap. And I thought, okay, yeah, you're probably right, but what is a healthy diet? I didn't even know, and I really didn't know how to cook. And so I started researching what is a healthy diet through publications like from the Mayo Clinic and the ADA, and I started taking cooking classes and watching the Food Network, which was in its infancy that year or at that time, and playing around in the kitchen. And what I realized from my research was that there was a fundamental truth that was coming through in all of these recommendations for health. I'm not talking about weight loss. I'm talking about for health. And that was that whole foods were better than processed foods. And I thought, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. Processed foods have a ton of other things added to them, additives and preservatives and, and chemicals, but whole foods are really hard to cook from. And as I was learning how to cook, I was realizing that it just took a long time to prepare your foods, all your meals from whole foods. And then the cleanup was always a nightmare and added a lot to my my um, food preparation and, and eating lifestyle, but fatigue is a hallmark of MS, and so that was hard for me to to maintain, and I needed to find a way to make it easier to eat whole foods more often, and I, one night we were watching a late night TV on the, in the days before we had cable, and the guy comes on in this infomercial, and he says, look, I can make your whole meal in this one countertop appliance. And he puts in dry rice and a can of tomatoes, and then he puts a metal grate over it, like a barbecue grill-type grate, and puts chicken breast on top of that. And then he puts another metal grill grate, metal grate over it, and then puts brownies on top of that, covers the whole thing with a dome, plugs it in, and turns it on. And I thought, wow, that is brilliant. I want to make my whole foods-based meal all in one pot, but I don't have that countertop appliance, and I don't have any of those metal grates, and honestly, I really don't care about the brownies. And so I went over to my oven, and I thought, you know, I bet that countertop appliance probably gets pretty hot, and so I turned my oven up to 450 degrees, which if anybody out there who knows about cooking is probably laughing, 450 degrees, you only cook like pizza and maybe breads at 450 (laughs) degrees. But I didn't know any better, and I had received a cast iron Dutch oven as a wedding gift, which I had Mm -hmm. gotten, 
and thought, oh, this is such a great pot, but I have no idea what to cook in it. It was a two-quart pot, so pretty small. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to kind of do a similar concept to what that guy did, but I don't have the grace and or that appliance, but I went to my freezer and took out some frozen fish fillets, and I put in put them into my pot with some vegetables and some herbs and I put a lid on it and put it in my 450 degree oven and then about half an hour just started to smell like dinner and that just became the way that we cooked and we didn't really even think about it until my college roommate came to visit for a week and at the end of the week she said would you please teach me how to cook like you cook and I looked at her and I said well your mom's Italian from Italy like you're a pretty good cook she said yeah but not like you do. And I thought, okay, well, you saw me do it. I just literally threw everything into the cast iron Dutch oven and put it in the oven. And she said, I really think there's a little bit more to it than that. So I sat down and I wrote my cookbook. And I spent five years trying to get an agent and a publisher to publish it. And nobody would do it because, as all of my rejection letters say, this is a great manuscript, but you're a nobody. And nobody buys cookbooks from a nobody. You don't have a show like Rachel Ray you're not um, the of a restaurant like Wolfgang Puck. You're not Martha Stewart, all these things. And I thought, well, yeah, but how can I even get there if I can't have a cookbook? And so I finally decided to publish it myself, which I did in 2005. It turned out to be the best decision I could have made because I sold out my entire first print run of two or 3,000 books in the first month of publication. I was featured on a bunch of shows. I won a bunch of awards. Um, I was on the local bestsellers list for, I don't know, 13, 15 weeks. And it really just took off from there. And then eventually I sold the book to Random House, which republished it in 2009 under their Clarkson Potter imprint. And it is still selling today. So that's called Glorious One Pot Meals. And that really got me into the idea of that I could, I had control over my own health and I could improve my health. And the more I focused on eating whole foods, the better I was feeling and improving in my own multiple sclerosis health. And then, um, and then I started having babies and my oldest child was, really sickly from the beginning, from the minute he came out. He was just in terrible pain all the time and, and could, didn't sleep through the night and terrible constipation, and none of the doctors could help us. We took him to pediatric GI clinics. We had his DNA mapped. We had abdominal x-rays done. Nobody could tell us why he was so constipated that he was in so much pain. And finally, I took him to a naturopath, and she said, you know, I really think this sounds like food sensitivities. And I thought, well, he doesn't get anaphylaxis or hives. And she said, well, those are food allergies. She said, food sensitivities cause inflammation in the body. And I thought, okay, well, tell me what to do. I'll do anything. My poor kid is suffering. I know he's going to die young because he can't poop. And so we mm -hmm. did a food sensitivity test called the MRT, the Mediator Release Test, which is really the gold standard of food sensitivity tests, and it changed our lives. At this point, he had fallen off the height and weight chart. He was vomiting seven times a week minimum, really, for the first six years of his life. And when we changed his diet, first of all, he stopped vomiting immediately. But within two months, he had 
gained 10 pounds. He had grown an inch and a half. He had stopped having tantrums. He had started sleeping through the night. He had stopped wetting the bed. All these things had happened. And I realized, wow, this is life-changing. And I decided that um, when I finished my degree as a naturopath, which I had been working toward, I really wanted to focus on food sensitivities and designing customized anti-inflammatory diets for people, which is what I do in my nationwide clinic. But on top of that, I know we want to focus on, talk a lot about parasites because I realized in the last decade that I have been working in my clinic and working with hundreds and hundreds of autoimmune sufferers that there is more to it. And often that more to it has to do with hidden parasitic infection that has never been diagnosed or addressed. And it's way more common than we may have been led to believe by our medical community. Mm-hmm. So before we hop into the parasites, uh, let's start with just making sure everyone out there is clear on what is autoimmunity. Um, Can you sort of flesh that out for us? Absolutely. So the medical community will tell us that autoimmune means allergic to self. If we take it apart, auto and immune, we're allergic to yourself. But, you know, Evolution says, mm, nay, nay, you cannot be allergic to self and have survived evolutionary-wise. Mm-hmm. We would have died out a long time ago. So if that is true, then, and it is impossible to be allergic to yourself because what the medical community believes when I, and this is what they told me when I was diagnosed, is that what happens in multiple sclerosis is that there's a subset of white blood cells called T cells, and the T cells in MS are going rogue. That means they are reacting and starting the immune response and the inflammatory cascade without any rhyme or reason. Normally, our immune system responds to foreign invaders. That's what our white blood cells are meant to do. They are the the soldiers that go out and say, Are there foreign invaders in the body? Well, typically, a foreign invader is a virus or a bacteria or maybe even a mold. And if the white blood cells find a foreign invader, they start sending out our weapons, which are heat, inflammation, and some some chemical activations like um, uh, antibodies and, and other things that our blood can release. Well, The thing is, it works pretty well against virus, okay against bacteria, but not at all against parasites. Parasites could care less about heat, inflammation, antibodies, any of these things. They don't matter. They just keep going about their jolly way. Um, So the immune system, the white blood cells, continue to see a foreign invader, and they continue to cycle out the immune response and the inflammatory cascade, which is what we recognize as autoimmunity. So what I believe is that autoimmunity is not being allergic to yourself. If you were allergic to yourself, you'd be dead pretty much, and you certainly wouldn't have reproduced, evolution Mm -hmm. says. Um, But instead, there's actually something triggering these inflammatory reactions and this autoimmune cascade, and what our human error has been, that we haven't been looking in the right places to find those triggers. Because just like people with celiac disease, once they realize that their problem has to do with gluten, and they take gluten out of their world, 
they live a pretty normal life. They don't have constant mm-hmm. problems until they're exposing into gluten. And it is like that for everything that is inflammatory. We just need to find the triggers and remove them. Right. So I think this is, you, you alluded to this a little bit, but I think it's just worth sort of reiterating is that so much of medicine has sort of revolved around this whole theory of, you know, it's a genetic trigger. It's a gen, you know, it's in our genes. It's predestined, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, it's the environment that is, you know, signaling certain genes to turn on and mm-hmm. off and then, and then, you know, and the immune system as well. And so really, I think, and I, and I'm really excited about this unfolding this deeper and broader awareness of epigenetics, which is, you know, the environment is what affects the cell and our body and our health and, you know, our immune system and all that good stuff. And so, um, so yes. Okay. So now, then, Let how me do we with know? You first. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. I just want to say yes, 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 yes. Epigenetics huge, and point out that multiple sclerosis really didn't exist before the industrial revolution until we started toxifying our water and our air and our food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to, and I want to come back to that later because I have another question that I want to, and I think that'll tie in perfectly to that. So, mm-hmm. so let's go from now we know what autoimmunity is, and so now what about how do we know if we have parasites and how do we get exposed to them? So let's start off with how we might be exposed to them. It is super, super easy to pick up parasites. Um, we commonly might think of parasites, might, you might pick up parasites when you do foreign travel in an underdeveloped country. Absolutely, 100%. I have picked up parasites from lots of foreign countries um, in my own life. That, is a, that, that can be a clue. You may have gone, say, to Mexico and had diarrhea. That may have been parasites too. Or you may have had in close to, closer to home an incident that you may have termed food poisoning, or you may have thought it was a 24-hour stomach bug or something like that, that may have been actually picking up parasites. You can get them from um, eating sushi. You can get them from eating undercooked pork. You can get them from swimming in a lake or a river or even a chlorinated public pool or a water park. I had a whole family who had been at a water park and picked up Giardia. Um, You can get them from playing in with your dog or your cat from cleaning out the litter box, from playing in your garden, from walking barefoot. Some parasites come up, they come up through the soles of your feet. Um, you can get them, remember in 19, or in 2018, there was a bunch of McDonald's and their salads in 15 different states were contaminated with cyclospora, which is a parasite. And <laughs> there has been a decade of cryptosporidium infection that they think might be coming in through fresh cilantro. And if you can think of how many times you've seen fresh cilantro on the menu or on your foods at restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point in 1993, the entire city of Milwaukee was infected with cryptosporidium just through their municipal water supply. Wow. It's just really, really easy. One drop, one drop of water is all it takes. 
Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so most of us have probably been exposed in some way, shape, or form. So how do we know? What are the signs and symptoms? So sometimes um, in a healthy system, you can just flush those parasites right out of your body. They never move in, take up resonance. But in other cases, they they do. And the, the job of a parasite is to find a host, move in, take up residence, and populate. So they're not really going to go away unless they're directly addressed. The problem with figuring out parasites is testing is notorious for false negatives. So you can do, there are stool tests, there are blood tests. Some parasites live in the bowels. They maybe might show up in a stool test if you're lucky and that piece of poop actually had them. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, 50-50 chance, notorious for false negatives. Some parasites, like there's one called Chagas, which is in South America, kind of in the Amazon region, region, and it is a blood-borne parasite. And the only way that you can find it, there's like two labs, maybe three labs in the United States, that will even know how to test for Chagas because you have to take the blood sample and put it on a special slide with a special medium under a special microscopic power to even find the Chagas parasite. So what this tells us is that we could try to test and, and determine 100% for sure that we have parasites, but it's a lot of money and a lot of time, and you may get a negative result, which you shouldn't trust. Still believe, mm-hmm. even if you get a negative result, that there's a 50-50 chance you probably have them. If you get a positive result, you can know 100% they're there. There are mm-hmm. no false negatives for positives. Or, um, but it's very hard. So what are some of the symptoms? The number one symptom I always look for is sudden onset of symptoms. So, for instance, I have a client, a potential client, who his symptoms literally started two months ago. He has the exact date, the 18th. That's when his vertigo started is what he's having, is dizziness. Um, So when there is an exact date when something started, makes me suspicious, oh, well, maybe that's when you were infected because it wasn't something that built up. It's like yesterday you didn't have it, today you have it. So mm-hmm. an infection is a is a is something that could have caused that. So sudden onset is something I look for. Um, you could have chronic bowel issues. It could be diarrhea or constipation or cycling between diarrhea and constipation. It could be stomach um, cramping or other types of digestive digestive malfunction. It could be fatigue. It could be, for my husband, he has, it makes him vomit a lot. He's a vomiter. It takes me a lot to vomit. I vomit like once a decade, like Seinfeld. Um, But he, um, I remember one night, uh, he was sound asleep, and all of a sudden he literally started vomiting before he even woke up. And as he lifted his head off the pillow, the vomit went in an arc around in front of him. Um, So that can do it. That can be a cause. Um, One time when I had parasites, it caused me to faint. My husband used to faint a lot too from his parasites. Um, It could be headaches. It could be, it could be, Almost anything, nausea is a big one. Waking up at 3 a.m. is a big sign of parasites because parasites are very active in the middle of the night and they will wake you up. Um, 
Also around the full moon, parasites are very active, so that might be yeah. an indication. Um, but I was gonna, again, I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> all of these are kind of symptoms that you could experience from a lot of reasons, right? So um, I often yeah. find that it's just better just to really treat or do a parasite protocol at the beginning of embarking on any types of other therapies to wipe out any buggers be in there and causing problems because you can go through all the trouble of changing your diet or taking other medications and all that trouble and still not get the relief that you're seeking because there's still parasites there. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of doing, you know, seasonal detoxes and and in uh-huh. and in that I mean just helping your body like relieve itself of the toxic burden that we're all exposed to on a regular uh-huh. basis. So um so it sounds like maybe this could be something that could be integrated into a protocol like that as well so that it's just something you periodically do. Because it seems like you do that. Yeah, you could treat it, yeah. but then if you're re-exposed, then then you're sort of then it's back again, right? Yeah, and and it's very easy to be re-exposed. I personally have had parasitic infection at least six times in my life that I'm aware of. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I'm even thinking of like just both past clients and and um, friends and family that I you know that probably have had a long-standing infection that just hasn't been addressed um, based on everything that you just described. Yeah. So um, so from here, let's go, how do the parasites affect, like, our, what is that con- um, connection between autoimmune and, and I think even, like, leaky gut can come into play here, too, with parasites. So how does, how does all that fit together? So I used to picture my colony of buggers promenading very genteelly through the broad avenues of my intestines. But in truth, parasite infestation is more like one of those ant colonies behind, behind glass that we had as kids than it is a Bridgerton episode. It is, they are burrowing their pathways through, directly through your tissues. They're not going down established openings like a like a colon or something like that. So they leave you really perforated and pocked with with tissue damage and then that all goes into leaky gut because you're so damaged. But really what happens too is that the T cells become so active, that subset of white blood cells become so hyper aware because there's this chronic invaders that they are constantly battling to try to get out of the body, which is their job to protect the internal part of your body, and they can't get rid of them. They start becoming hypersensitized to all sorts of things. Like for me, one of my most reactive foods is lettuce. So Hmm. my T cells are hypersensitized to lettuce. What do you reach for when you're trying to get healthier? Probably a salad. And for me, mm-hmm. that's like the worst thing I can do. And absolutely, when I eat lettuce, it brings on MS symptoms. Wow, oh, that's so interesting. 
So, okay. So now, because I was reading and, you know, doing my due diligence before um, I came on the air with you today, and so I came across also the hygiene hypothesis, which Mm -hmm. is a theory that because we've been reduced in our exposure to so many things because we're over-sanitizing, that this could also actually be contributing, which seems a little paradoxical to me. So uh, what do you think about this? And, you know, and again, how does it all tie in together? I am not a fan of the hygiene hypothesis. I think um, that, that well, maybe in the, let me clarify. (laughs) I think that some of the things we have done in pursuit of hygiene, like, Triclosan, which is, which was for a while a anti-bacterial um, ingredient mm-hmm. in soaps mm-hmm. and and um, gels, things like that, is very very toxic to us. I think there's a lot of these quote antibacterial things that um, that hurt us more than help us. So. I believe in just regular soap, not antibacterial soap. And soap and water mm-hmm. is plenty of what we need to keep ourselves clean. We don't need to put all these chemicals all over our body. And I'm, I am concerned about what the effects might be as they start to show up in these kids who have been hand sanitizing since preschool. Oh, and all yeah. those chemicals I... that they are absorbing through their skin. Yeah, I would have to say, like, especially, you know, at the at the early onset of COVID and the, you know, everything that mm-hmm. we were all going through, I, it was, it made me cringe to see how much hand sanitizer and bleach and all of these things that we know to be toxic were just yes. starting to be, like, overused. <clears throat> yes. In, in just, you know, in a response of, fear of, oh, God, there's this virus, we don't know what it is and how bad it could be. And so, and it's like, okay, but at what cost? Um, and I yeah. work in a hospital, and so, and you know, so I'm constantly exposed to, even though I, I take my own non-toxic soap, I use Dr. Bronner's soap when, I, mm-hmm. when I'm at work, but still, you know, the cleaning crew comes in and they douse everything in these industrial chemicals to kill off everything that lives in a hospital, but it mm-hmm. leaves a residue. And it, mm-hmm. it's mind-boggling to me that so many of our, our healthcare um, institutions and this, all the things that are out there that are supposedly there to keep us safe, how toxic they are and how they try to also tell us, oh, it's non-toxic, it's, you know, there's no side effects, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. So I would appreciate it a lot more if they were just honest, be like, well, we're doing this in an effort, you know, to kill off whatever it is, like C. diff or, you know, MRSA or all these other big bad bugs. However, like, these are also the things that you should do to protect yourself and detox. Like, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> right. Right. And they don't, they don't even take into account all of those molecules from the aromas that they're leaving right. behind, like the aroma of pine yeah. salt or the aroma of bleach, all of the, or the aroma of Tide. All of these are molecules that can trigger hypersensitive people because even though we can't see an aroma, we, it is a molecule. And when, for instance, we get a dryer sheet and they're like, oh, 
smell this game dryer fresh smell or whatever and you go and you bring it way down to the depths of your lungs those are molecules now that are stuck in those little areolas inside your lungs that can come back to haunt you oh yeah i mean because all of those those are man-made chemicals that are not are natural to chemicals. our body yeah exactly so that was, and in fact yeah, there's like it, six mm-hmm. big laboratories around the world that make all of the sense for all of mm-hmm. our products and so yeah, they make the scent for pine salt and they make the scent for mcdonald's strawberry milkshake <laughs> yes that's so true yeah, so, and I think it's worth being said that probably you and I both, probably one of the first things we do with our patients when we see them, especially when they come to us with, you know, whether it's auto, full-blown autoimmune yet or not, or just, you know, you know um, overactive inflammation, depending on, you know, where they are on the spectrum, is eliminating, go through your house and as best you can eliminate anything that has a scent, unless it's a very high-grade essential oil Eliminate every mm-hmm. scent and aroma that you can in your house because those are all toxic foreign chemicals that your body doesn't know what to do with. It triggers yep. your immune system. And so yep. then on top of that, you know, now we go down the, the road of, okay, now we're overloading the liver. Can your body, you know, handle all of this and get rid of it? And, you know, so. Which it's true. Like I, you and I, I can't every even. Day. <laughs> you're right. I, and my poor patients who come to me and they're like, well, I like my Glade plugins. And I'm like, those are keeping you stuck. You need to get rid mm-hmm. of that thing, get it out of your house. Yes. Yeah, we all love lovely smells, but there's, there's actually healthy ways we can create lovely smells in our house. <laughs> we, you know, and the so, truth is and it, and that, I, yeah, right. In our country, there are so many artificial smells that we don't even know. We don't. We can't even smell the natural smells anymore. Just the same with the taste. There's so many artificial tastes that we we have to retrain our taste buds once we pull all those things out and and our nose too to recognize those more subtle smells that nature provides. Yes. Yes. I mean, and so. You know, it's. I'm glad you brought that up. Like retraining your taste buds. You know, because our tongue has, you know, what is it like five zones of of taste, and they're all different. But if you know we overload them with sweetness all the time, then we actually desensitize ourselves to the bitter and you know the 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 tangy and all those other that make what we eat so rich and flavorful. And so that is also part of the detox process is resensitizing. So desensitizing and resensitizing. And it's the same with our, our nose and our smells because they're so intricately connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a great book I read. It's called The Emperor of Scent, S-C-E-N-T. And it was about the scientists who worked on um, how we smell because that's really the only sense that we don't really understand very well. We know that we see through rods and cones in our eyes. We know we have taste buds that sense us. We know the receptors on our skin help us feel, but nobody has really figured out how smell works. Mm -hmm. It is so interesting. But the one thing that we do know, yeah, is that our brain recognizes chemicals by some sort of smell signature 
that that those chemicals are having an inside of our body too. So I think yes. that's the take yes. home that that people need to remember from today of all the valuable things that we've even talked about so far and are still yet to come, (laughs) you know, that every time you smell something, if it's, if it's man-made, it's most likely not good for you and, and creating inflammation in your body, unfortunately. Yes. And let me tell you, I try to avoid that aisle in the grocery store for all of the laundry detergents and dishwasher detergents and things like that, because that is the, so toxic, that whole aisle. And it's mm-hmm. overwhelming. I, we, um, when my kids were little, we had a carpool mate and I would pick him up in the morning and he would get in the car and the entire car would smell like Tide. And I would think this poor kid, all day long, he's living in this cloud of chemical smell. He can't mm-hmm. even smell anything else beyond the tide in his clothes. He's thinking mm-hmm. of my whole car, giving me a headache. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, so even like, so let's think about like what it's like, like when we go out into the woods or we go to the beach and we have all those smells around us. And so I think this is a really good uh, segue into, um, I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but I feel like it's going to come up naturally. It's just the microbiome. And it is sort of related mm-hmm. to that hygiene hypothesis of, of the mm-hmm. variety of things that we're exposed to that actually help our immune system and help our body's defenses be that more intricate and stronger and more diverse. And so, because, you know, when we're gardening or out in the woods or at the beach or wherever it is, and we're sort of stirring things up, so to speak. We're inhaling mm-hmm. those. And if mm-hmm. we're, you know, maybe we're exercising and we're breathing through our mouth and our nose, we're also inhaling them. And that's a good thing, right? You want to talk mm-hmm. about that a yeah. little bit? Yeah, absolutely. The microbiome, that's the last frontier, right? This is, the new, this is like space, but it's inside ourselves. And it's even more vast maybe than space and what we're learning and, and the – Organisms that live in there are more multitude than we ever even imagined, and they play a much bigger role in our health and supporting our health than we could have thought. And when we grow up taking all these antibiotics and all these pharmaceuticals, they don't discriminate. They randomly kill off everything in the microbiome, leaving us without a lot of the defenses that we need for our immunity, for our digestion, which is all, I don't know, 80 to 90% of our immunity and our health is based in our gut. That's why that, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. I have, you know, clients that come to me, they're like, oh, well, my bowels are fine. You know, I have a regular movement every day or, or you know, whatever their regularity is. And, and it's so, and still I feel like needs to be reinforced that our immune system starts in our gut. And, you know, and we, when we are exposed to dirt, there's a great book out there called Eat Dirt by Dr. Josh Axe, uh, who is mm-hmm. a chiropractor and also um, a functional medicine practitioner. And really the, the wonderful amount of things that we're exposed to when we play in the dirt, when we garden, when, you know, again, we are just out and about hiking and, and really exposing our to nature because we are, we're energetic beings, but we're of the earth. And so it's really important that we interact with the earth and the various aspects of it because it not only provides us with nutrients, 
but it feeds those good uh, microbes, whether they're bacteria or there, you know, there's little fungi in our microbiome. There's even parasites Mm -hmm. in our microbiome and they all play happily together. And it's when they become out of balance that then there's a problem. Right. Right. So we can tolerate some parasites, um, but when there's a void, nature hates a void, right? So Mm -hmm. when we take antibiotics and we wipe out part of our microbiome, then we have a void, a space for undesirable things like yeast and to move into that space. And then we can get like candida overgrowth and things like that because there is that void. If we have a microbiome that's in balance, then we that's what we need and everything it has there is h pylori in our microbiome and that's fine Mm -hmm. as long as we're balanced out with everything else and it doesn't find a void to move into and expand and take things over right exactly so what is your approach to um to this treatment to to the to i guess maintaining or restoring the balance so I use an herbal parasite protocol that is very, very gentle, only addresses the parasites, doesn't affect the rest of the microbiome. Um, it's a combination of four different herbs. Actually, they're all individual and separate because you take differing amounts of each herb um, several times a day over the course of a month. And the idea is that it, you get enough of the of the specific herb in there to really saturate the tissues and and um, toxify the parasites, and then they just start, they let go, and they flush out through your system. I find Mm -hmm. it very effective and uh, so gentle. I even use it with babies when their moms find worms in their diapers. Oh, okay. So would you say, because I know, you know, sometimes people um, experience some die-off symptoms, and so, and if anyone out there has not done a detox, or maybe you have, and then it immediately made you feel like crap, probably because your body, you're feeling the the toxins actually release in, in what they call the, a die-off reaction, mm-hmm. and it actually makes you feel worse before you feel better. So you're saying, I would assume, like, when you say gentle, that, that you don't experience these die-off um, Most people and, and don't symptoms? experience any die-offs. No. Um, sometimes in the first week they might experience some gurgling in their stomach. It kind of depends on how old the infection, the parasitic infection is, how long the parasites have Mm -hmm. been in there. Um, Like if it's a newer infection, maybe like two weeks ago, they might might feel more gurgling in their tummy as they start the protocol. But in general, the most commonly reported side effects I hear are deeper sleep and more vivid dreams. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Well, what, what else? So I, you know, I think the only thing that we really haven't touched on yet is that um, that you and I sort of talked about before we got on the air today is that that health is our birthright. So um, let's sort of like tie it all together and and um, and I guess and start to wrap things up. And so, what is the take home message that you want to leave everyone with today? Yes. So that's one of my mottos is health is our birthright. We are entitled to good health. And even if someone has been struggling through the medical system for many years and is frustrated, 
and the medical community is telling them that there is no hope for you and this is your lot, I don't agree with that. I think there are things that we can each do. My focus is on empowering the individual to take control and to understand their body and their health and to take the steps that their body is asking them to do. This is not a pill for an ill type theory. This is mm-hmm. a way that to be proactive about your health and how you live. And a lot of that has to do with the foods that you choose to eat and the things that you choose to have around in your environment and surround yourself with. There's the physical aspect of it, the mental health aspect to it, all of that comes together. So I'm really a fan of of using a bunch of different natural health modalities in your own healing journey. There's no one right path for everybody. You have to seek it out and find what resonates for you. That's one of my missions. I developed something called the Holistic Health and Wellness Collective. And in the collective, we have a bunch of different types of practitioners that's growing all the time who provide little mini trainings about their specialty so that people have a place to go and get a little taste of different types of healing modalities and see if this is something that resonates for them that they want to pursue further, whether it's healing with laughter or healing with lasers or using um, tuning forks for healing or sound healing, all sorts of different healing modalities that can assist and help people along on their healing path. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it is so important for everyone out there to have a, I like to call it your healing team or your medical team, you know, so because there is, there is still a role for Western medicine in the acute care, I feel like, the acute care field. 100%. So something, yeah, yes. but chronic, chronic care, they suck at. <laughs> right. And, and I, I mean, say that I get because, in a car accident, you know, yeah. 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 If I get in a yeah, car accident, then great. To the hospital, put me back together, please. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But if I have um, MS, you, it's not helpful. Yes. Yes. So I will say even for myself, I have, there's a um, sound healer in my community that I love going to those gatherings and I have a chiropractor and an acupuncturist and, yep. you know, and yep. all of these things that help keep me, they help keep me in balance. But then when there is something that flares or comes up that I need to address, then they also help, um, you know, help me rebalance and find those solutions. And so I encourage mm-hmm. all of you out there to, to find your team and and don't expect it to just be one person um, because all of this works complementary to each other and right. and you know we're all multiple multiple multi dimensional beings so it would you know stand to reason that we uh, should look forward to multi dimensional ways to heal and rebalance too. And so, um, and I also want to bring that back to periodically, you know, helping your body unload its toxic burden, whether that's a toxic burden of parasites or, you know, chemicals that you're exposed to at work maybe, or maybe, you know, you're one of these people that 
go through phases of eating like crap. Lots of us do it. But if you do that, then know that to help your body, you need to also, you know, give it that whole nourishing, all those whole nourishing foods, really nutrient-dense. That's the key. And, you know, eating the rainbow, what else would you say? Yep, those are all really big and important. And I like to reassure people that, you know, health is a journey. This is not like alcoholism or something where you have one bad day where you ate a bunch of Fritos or something and now, oh, you might as well give up the whole thing. It's not that way at all. It's every single time you go to eat something, you have a choice. You can choose the whole food or you can choose a very processed food. Um, The nice part about the time that we're living in now is our labeling laws have gotten better. So you can look at the labels, and if there are chemicals on there that you can't pronounce, that you don't understand, you don't know what they are, you can choose something that is free of those. There are so many different options for um, foods that are cleaner these days that you can buy already prepared to meet our busy lifestyles. So, yes, all of that is very um, essential and a really good first step just to start reading labels and stop eating things that have chemicals in them. Yes, yes. Stick to the outside of the grocery store. Um, Buy as much local produce as you can. Uh, Hopefully, I know uh, we in the Northern Hemisphere are going into winter, so, um, but still there's, you know, eat with the seasons as well because, again, our bodies are cyclical beings and so as the seasons change then the energy expenditure changes and the way we react to certain food also changes and so you know if you can find local farms local produce you know farmers markets csa boxes any of those things um, to really not only support your your local agricultural industry but also to support your body and the natural cycle that it goes through. I also am a fan of frozen frozen vegetables and produce because those things are flash frozen pretty much off the field. So, you know, I'm in Colorado. Oh, yeah. There's not a lot going to be growing here in the month or so. It's going to be under snow. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, it doesn't mean I don't want to have vegetables during the winter. I do. Um, so frozen, I think, is the next best option to fresh and and actually if listeners want to go to glorious g-l-o-r-i-o-u-s one o-n-e pot com, they can pick up my ultimate checklist for stocking your freezer and pantry with healthy foods that you can pull out and use to make healthy meals any night of the week and just makes it easier when you have the food in your house already yes fabulous so also yes tell us where else um, people can find you so that gloriousontopmeals.com, that is related to my cookbook and my eating method, which, again, is patented and unique and just makes it super easy to throw a, a really healthy meal on the table in about 45 minutes. And most of that is cooking time. Um, and then the other website I wanted to direct listeners to is multiplesclerosisdiet.com. And there you can get my top three items that you should never eat if you have MS or another autoimmune issue. These are things that you can easily look at the labels and find and steer yourself away from and 
give you a good jump forward on reclaiming your health. Great. Thank you so much. And um, just to wrap things up today, thank you so much for being here. I loved this conversation, and I feel like it brought up so many good points and so much good information. Um, my name is Dr. Lara May. I am a functional medicine practitioner and intuitive energy healer, and that's sort of my unique thing that I do is I combine both of them together to give you, to help allow you and empower you to have a deep healing across multiple dimensions of your life. And you can find more about myself and my practices at drlaramay.com. And if you are inspired to work with me, I am hosting a group coaching program called the Sacred Self Holistic Health Mastery, where we really dive deep over a nine-month period into anti-inflammatory healing and detoxing seasonally, and then incorporating different energy healing modalities that um, to help you build your own practice and really give you the tools to create a lifelong healing journey for yourself. So um, thank you so much, Elizabeth. It was great to have you, and um, I look forward to doing uh, more shows with you in the future. Oh, me too, me too. And if anyone would like to explore further with their autoimmune issues, um, my website is Elizabeth Yarnell, Y-A-R-N-E-L-L.com. And at the bottom, you are absolutely welcome and invited to schedule a complimentary naturopathic health assessment with me. And we can talk about if you're a good candidate for what it is that I offered, if that could help you get back on the track to reclaiming your health. So thank you, Lara. Thank you so much for having me on today. This has been a joy. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. We look forward to next time. Have a great day. You too. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show.